Here at Screaming Eye Press, we are very serious about censorship, and that is why we have put together horrible little stories, stories they don't want you to read, a collection of horror and dark fantasy stories by Joe Lansdale, G.L. Razor, Elizabeth Massey, Jack Dan, Richard Christian Matheson, G. Wayne Miller, Ray Garten, and more. All proceeds will be donated to the anti-censorship foundation, thefire.org. Look, if you don't like this commercial, just shut it off, for fuck's sake. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. (sighs) Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is, Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Twisted Pulp Magazine! (laughs) What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome! You definitely have that right, my good man! (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Mary! My pleasure, Billy! And just between you and me... I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye. Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine. Available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere. Or at Amazon.com or ScreamingEyePress.com. That is S-C-R-E-A-M-I-N-G-E-Y-E-P-R-E-S-S.com. <laughs> by Thomas M. Dish read by Martin Clothier Miss Marcia Kenwell had a perfect horror of cockroaches it was an altogether different horror than the one which she felt for instance toward the colour puce Marcia Kenwell loathed the little things She couldn't see one without wanting to scream. 
Her revulsion was so extreme that she could not bear to crush them under the soles of her shoes. No, that would be too awful. She would run, instead, for the spray can of Black Flag and inundate the little beast with poison until it ceased to move or got out of reach into one of the little cracks where they all seemed to live. It was horrible. Unspeakably horrible. To think of them nestling in the walls, under the linoleum, only waiting for the lights to be turned off, and then... No. It was best not to think about it. Every week, she looked through the Times, hoping to find another apartment, but either the rents were prohibitive, this was Manhattan, and Marcia's wage was a mere $62.50 a week. Gross. Or the building was obviously infested. She could always tell. There would be husks of dead roaches scattered about in the dust beneath the sink, stuck to the greasy backside of the stove, lining the out-of-reach cupboard shelves like the rice on the church steps after a wedding. She left such rooms in a passion of disgust, unable even to think till she reached her own apartment, where the air would be thick with the wholesome odours of black flag. Roach it! And the toxic pastes that were spread on slices of potato and hidden in a hundred cracks which only she and the roaches knew about. At least, she thought, I'd keep my apartment clean. And truly, the linoleum under the sink, the backside and the underside of the stove, and the white contact paper lining her cupboards were immaculate. She could not understand how other people could let these matters get so entirely out of hand. They must be Puerto Ricans, she decided and shivered again with horror, remembering the litter of empty husks, the filth and the disease. Such extreme antipathy towards insects, towards one particular insect, may seem excessive, but Marcia Kenwell was not really exceptional in this. There are many women, bachelor women, like Marcia Sheafley, who share this feeling. Though one may hope, for sweet charity's sake, that they escape Marcia's peculiar fate. Marcia's phobia was, as in most such cases, hereditary in origin. That is to say, she inherited it from her mother, who had a morbid fear of anything that crawled or skittered or lived in tiny holes. Mice, frogs, snakes, worms, bugs... All could send Mrs. Kenwell into hysterics. And it would indeed have been a wonder if little Marcia had not taken after her. It was rather strange, though, that her fear had become so particular, and stranger still that it should particularly be cockroaches that captured her fancy. For Marcia had never seen a single cockroach, didn't know what they were. The Kenwells were a Minnesota family, and Minnesota families simply don't have cockroaches. In fact, the subject did not arise until Marcia was 19, and setting out, armed with nothing but a high school diploma and pluck, for she was not, you see, a very attractive girl, 
to conquer New York. On the day of her departure, her favourite and only surviving aunt came with her to the Greyhound Terminal, her parents being deceased, and gave her this parting advice. Watch out for roaches, Marcia darling. New York City is full of cockroaches. At that time, almost at any time really, Marcia hardly paid attention to her aunt, who had opposed the trip from the start and given a hundred or more reasons why Marcia had better not go, not till she was older at least. Her aunt had been proven right on all accounts. Marcia, after five years and 15 employment agency fees, could find nothing in New York but dull jobs at mediocre wages. She had no more friends than when she lived on West 16th, and except for its view, the chock full of nuts warehouse and a patch of sky, her present apartment on Lower Thompson Street was not a great improvement on its predecessor. The city was full of promises, but they had all been pledged to other people. The city, Marcia knew, was sinful, indifferent, dirty and dangerous. Every day she read accounts of women attacked in subway stations, raped in the streets, knifed in their own beds. A hundred people looked on curiously all the while and offered no assistance. And on top of everything, there were the roaches. There were roaches everywhere, but Marcia didn't see them until she'd been in New York a month. They came to her, or she to them, at Silversmiths on Nassau Street, a stationery shop where she had been working for three days. It was the first job she'd been able to find, alone or helped by a pimply stock boy. In all fairness, it must be noted that Marcia was not without an acne problem of her own. She wandered down rows of rasp-edged metal shelves in the musty basement, making an inventory of the sheaves and piles and boxes of bond paper, leatherette-bound diaries, pins and clips, and carbon paper. The basement was dirty and so dim that she needed a flashlight for the lowest shelves. In the obscurest corner, a faucet leaked perpetually into a grey sink. She had been resting near this sink, sipping a cup of tepid coffee, saturated in the New York manner with sugar and drowned in milk, thinking probably of how she could afford several things that she simply couldn't afford, when she noticed the dark spots moving on the side of the sink. At first, she thought they might be no more than moats floating in the jelly of her eyes, or the giddy dots that one sees after overexertion on a hot day but they persisted, too long to be illusory. And Marcia drew nearer, feeling compelled to bear witness. How do I know they are insects? she thought. How are we to explain the fact that what repels us most can be at times, at the same time, inordinately attractive? Why is the cobra poised to strike so beautiful? The fascination of the abomination is something which we would rather not account for. The subject borders on the obscene, and there is no need to deal with it here, except to note the breathless wonder with which Marcia observed these first roaches of hers. Her chair was drawn so close to the sink that she could see the mottling of their oval, unsegmented bodies, the quick scuttering of their thin legs, and the 
quicker flutter of their antennae. They moved randomly, proceeding nowhere, centred nowhere. They seemed greatly disturbed over nothing. Perhaps, Marcia thought, my presence has a morbid effect on them. Only then did she become aware, aware fully, that these were the cockroaches of which she had been warned. Repulsion took hold. Her flesh curdled on her bones. She screamed and fell back in her chair, almost upsetting a shelf of odd lots. Simultaneously, the roaches disappeared over the edge of the sink and into the drain. Mr. Silversmith, coming downstairs to inquire the source of Marcy's alarm, found her supine and unconscious. He sprinkled her face with tap water and she awoke with a shudder of nausea. She refused to explain why she had screamed and insisted that she must leave Mr. Silversmith's employ immediately. He, supposing that the pimply stock boy, who was his son, had made a pass at Marcia, paid her for the three days she had worked and let her go without regrets. From that moment on, cockroaches were to be a regular feature of Marcia's existence. On Thompson Street, Marcia was able to reach a sort of stalemate with the cockroaches. She settled into a comfortable routine of pastes and powders, scrubbing and waxing, prevention. She never had even a cup of coffee without washing and drying up the cup and coffee pot immediately afterwards, and ruthless extermination. The only roaches who trespassed upon her two cosy rooms came up from the apartment below, and they did not stay long. You may be sure of that. Marcia would have complained to the landlady, except that it was the landlady's apartment and her roaches. She had been inside for a glass of wine on Christmas Eve, and she had had to admit that it wasn't exceptionally dirty. It was, in fact, more than commonly clean, but that was not enough in New York. If everyone, Marcia thought, took as much care as I, there would soon be no cockroaches in New York City. Then... It was March and Marcia was halfway through her sixth year in the city. The Shapolovs moved in next door. There were three of them, two men and a woman. And they were old, though exactly how old was hard to say. They'd been aged by more than time. Perhaps they were more than 40. The woman, for instance, though she still had brown hair, had a face wrinkly as a prune and was missing several teeth. She would stop Marcia in the hallway or on the street, grabbing hold of her coat sleeve and talk to her. Always a simple lament about the weather, which was too hot or too cold or too wet or too dry. Marcia never knew half of what the old woman was saying because she mumbled so. Then she'd totter off to the grocery with her bag full of empties. The Shapolovs, you see, drank. Marcia who had a rather exaggerated idea of the cost of alcohol, the cheapest thing she could imagine was vodka, wondered where they got the money for all the drinking they did. She knew they didn't work, for on days when Marcy was home with the flu, she could hear the three Shapolovs through the thin wall between their kitchen and hers, screaming at each other to exercise their adrenal glands. They're on welfare, Marcia decided, or perhaps the man with... Only one eye was a veteran on pension. She didn't so much mind the noise of their arguments. She was seldom home in the afternoon, but she couldn't stand their singing. Early in the evening they'd start in, 
singing along with the radio stations. Everything they listened to sounded like Guy Lombardo. Later, about eight o'clock, they sang a cappella. Strange, soulless noises rose and fell like civil defence sirens. There were bellowings, bayings and cries. Marcia had heard something like it once on a folkways record of Czechoslovakian wedding chants. She was quite beside herself whenever the awful noise started up and had to leave the house until they were done. A complaint would do no good. The Shapolovs had a right to sing at that hour. Besides, one of the men was said to be related by marriage to the landlady. That's how they'd got the apartment, which had been used as a storage space until they moved in. Marcia couldn't understand how the three of them could fit into such a little space. Just a room and a half, with a narrow window opening onto the air shaft. Marcia had discovered that she could see their entire living space through a hole that had been broken through the wall when the plumbers had installed a sink for the Shapolovs. But if their singing distressed her, what was she to do about the roaches? The Shapolov woman, who was the sister of one man and married to the other, or else the men were brothers and she was the wife of one of them, Sometimes it seemed to Marcia from the words that came through the walls that she was married to neither of them, or to both, was a bad housekeeper. And the chapel of apartment was swarming with roaches. Since Marcia's sink and the Shapolovs were fed by the same pipes and emptied into a common drain, a steady overflow of roaches was disgorged into Marcia's immaculate kitchen. She could spray and lay out more poisoned potatoes, she could scrub and dust and stuff Kleenex tissues into holes where pipes passed through the wall. It was all to no avail. The chapel of roaches could always lay another million eggs in the garbage bags rotting beneath the chapel of sink. In a few days, they would be swarming through the pipes and cracks and into Marcia's cupboards. She would lay in bed and watch them. This was possible because Marcia kept a nightlight burning in each room advancing across the floor and up the walls, trailing the Shapolov's filth and disease everywhere they went. One such evening, the roaches were especially bad, and Marcia was trying to muster the resolution to get out of her warm bed and attack them with roaches. She had left the windows open from the conviction that the cockroaches do not like the cold, but she found she liked it much less. When she swallowed, it hurt, and she knew she was coming down with a cold, all because of them. Oh, go away, she begged. Go away, go away, get out of my apartment. She addressed the roaches with the same desperate intensity with which sometimes, though not often in recent years, she addressed prayers to the Almighty. Once she had prayed all night long to get rid of her acne, but in the morning it was worse than ever. People in intolerable circumstances will pray to anything. Truly, there are no atheists in foxholes. The men there pray to the bombs that they may land somewhere else. The only strange thing in Marcia's case is that her prayers were answered. The cockroaches fled from her apartment as quickly as their little legs could carry them, and in straight lines too. Had they heard her? Had they understood? Marcia could still see one cockroach coming down from the cupboard. Stop, she commanded, and it stopped. At Marcia's spoken command, 
the cockroach would march up and down, to the left and to the right. Suspecting that her phobia had matured into madness, Marcia left her warm bed, turned on the light and cautiously approached the roach, which remained motionless as she had bidden it. Wiggle your antennas, she commanded. The cockroach wiggled its antenna. She wondered if they would all obey her and found, within the next few days, that they all would. They would do anything she told them to. They would eat poison out of her hand. Well, not exactly out of her hand, but it amounted to the same thing. They were devoted to her, slavishly. It is the end, she thought, of my roach problem. But of course it was only the beginning. Marcia did not question too closely the reason the roaches obeyed her. She had never much troubled herself with abstract problems. After expending so much time and attention on them, it seemed only natural that she could exercise a certain power over them. However, she was wise enough never to speak of this power to anyone else, even to Miss Bismuth at the insurance office. Miss Bismuth read the horoscope magazines and claimed to be able to communicate with her mother, aged 68, telepathically. Her mother lived in Ohio, but what would Marcia have said? That she could communicate telepathically with cockroaches? Impossible. Nor did Marcia use her power for any other purpose than keeping the cockroaches out of her apartment. Whenever she saw one, she simply commanded it to go to the Shapilov apartment and stay there. It was surprising then that there were always more roaches coming back through the pipes. Marcia assumed that they were younger generations. Cockroaches are known to breed fast, but it was easy enough to send them back to the Shapilovs. Into their beds, she added as an afterthought. Go into their beds. Disgusting as it was, the idea gave her a queer thrill of pleasure. The next morning, the Shapilov woman, smelling a little worse than usual, whatever was it, Marcia wondered, that they drank, was waiting at the open door of her apartment. She wanted to speak to Marcia before she left for work. Her house dress was mired from an attempt at scrubbing the floor. And while she sat there talking, she tried to wring out the scrub water. No idea, she exclaimed. You ain't got no idea how bad. It's terrible. What? Marcia asked, knowing perfectly well what. The boogs. Oh, the boogs are just everywhere. Don't you have them, sweetheart? I don't know what to do. I try to keep a decent house. God knows. She lifted her room and the eyes to heaven, testifying. But I don't know what to do. She leaned forward, confidingly. You won't believe this, sweetheart. But last night, Cockroach began to climb out of the limp strands of her hair, straggling down into the woman's eyes. They got into bed with us. Would you believe it? There must have been a hundred of them. I said to Osip, I said, what's wrong, sweetheart? Marcia, speechless with horror, pointed at the roach, which had almost reached the bridge of the woman's nose. Yuck, the woman agreed, smashing it and wiping her dirty thumb on her dirty dress. Goddamn bugs, I hate him, I swear to God. But what's a person got to do? Now, what I wanted to ask, sweetheart, is do you have a problem with the bugs? Being as how you're right next door, I, I thought... She smiled a confidential smile, as though to say, this is just between us ladies. 
Marcia almost expected a roach to skitter out between her gapped teeth. No, she said. No, I use black flag. She backed away from the doorway toward the safety of the stairwell. Black flag, she shouted from the foot of the stairs. Her knees trembled so that she had to hold onto the metal banister for support. At the insurance office that day, Marcia couldn't keep her mind on her work five minutes at a time. Her work in the actuarial dividends department consisted of adding up long rows of two-digit numbers on a burrow's adding machine and checking the similar additions of her co-workers' varers. She kept thinking of the cockroaches in the tangled hair of the Shapilov woman, of her bed teeming with roaches, and of her other, less concrete horrors on the periphery of consciousness. The numbers swam and swarmed before her eyes, and twice she had to go to the ladies' room. But each time it was a false alarm. Nevertheless, lunchtime found her with no appetite. Instead of going down to the employee cafeteria, she went into the fresh April air and strolled along 23rd Street. Despite the spring, it all seemed to bespeak a sordidness, a festering corruption. The stones of the flat iron building oozed damp blackness. The gutters were heaped with soft decay. The smell of burning grease hung in the air outside the cheap restaurants like cigarette smoke in a closed room. The afternoon was worse. Her fingers would not touch the correct numbers on the machine unless she looked at them. One silly phrase kept running through her head. Something must be done. She had quite forgotten that she had sent the roaches into the Shapilov's bed in the first place. That night, instead of going home immediately, she went to a double feature on 42nd Street. She couldn't afford the better movies. Susan Haywood's little boy almost drowned in quicksand. That was the only thing she remembered afterwards. She did something then that she had never done before. She had a drink in a bar. She had two drinks. Nobody bothered her. Nobody even looked in her direction. She took a taxi to Thompson Street. The subways weren't safe at that hour and arrived at her door by 11 o'clock. She didn't have anything left for a tip. The taxi driver said he understood. There was a light on under the Shapilov's door and they were singing. It was 11 o'clock. Something must be done, Marcia whispered to herself. Earnestly, something must be done. Without turning on her own light, without even taking off her new spring jacket from Obark's, Marcia got down on her knees and crawled under the sink. She tore out the Kleenexes she had stuffed into the cracks and around the pipes. There they were, the three of them, the Shapilovs, drinking, the woman plumped on the lap of the one-eyed man and the other man in a dirty undershirt, stamping his foot on the floor to accompany the loud discords of their song. Horrible. They were drinking, of course. She might have known it, and now the woman pressed her roachy mouth against the mouth of the one-eyed man. Kiss, kiss. Horrible. Horrible. Marcia's hands knotted into her mouse-coloured hair, and she thought, The filth, the disease. Why, they hadn't learned a thing from last night. Sometime later, Marcia had lost track of time. The overhead light in the Shapilov's apartment was turned off. Marcia waited till they made no more noise. Now, Marcia said, all of you, all of you in this building, all of you that can hear me, gather round the bed, but wait a little while yet. Patience, all of you. 
the words of her command fell apart into little fragments which she told like the beads of a rosary, like brown ovoid wooden beads. Gather round. Wait a little while yet. All of you. Patience. Gather round. Her hand stroked the cold water pipes rhythmically and it seemed that she could hear the gathering scuttering up through the walls, coming out of the cupboards, the garbage bags, a host, an army, and she was their absolute queen. Now, she said, mount them, cover them, devour them. There was no doubt that she could hear them now. She heard them quite palpably. Their sound was like grass in the wind, like the first stirrings of gravel dumped from a truck. Then there was the Shapilov woman's scream and curses from the men, such terrible curses that Marcia could hardly bear to listen. A light went out and Marcia could see them, the roaches, everywhere. Every surface, the walls, the floors, the shabby sticks of furniture was motley thick with Blattelay Germanicae. There was more than a single thickness. The Shapilov woman, standing up in her bed, screamed monotonously. Her pink rayon nightgown was speckled with brown-black dots. Her knobbly knees tried to brush bugs out of her hair, off her face. The man in the undershirt, who a few minutes before had been stomping his feet to the music, stomped now more urgently, one hand still holding onto the light cord. Soon the floor was sliming with crushed roaches and he slipped. The light went out. The woman's scream took on a rather choked quality, as though... But Marcia wouldn't think of that. Enough, she whispered. No more. Stop. She crawled away from the sink, across the room onto her bed, which tried, with a few tawdry cushions, to dissemble itself as a couch for the daytime. Her breathing came hard, and there was a curious constriction in her throat. She was sweating incontinently. From the Shapilov's room came scuffling sounds. A door banged, running feet and then a louder, muffled noise. Perhaps a body falling downstairs. The landlady's voice. What the hell do you think you're... Other voices overriding hers. Incoherences and footsteps returning up the stairs once more. The landlady. There ain't no bugs here, for heaven's sake. The bugs are in your head. You've got the DTs, that's what. And it wouldn't be any wonder if there were boogs. This place is filthy. Look at that crap on the floor. Filth. I've just stood about enough from you. Tomorrow you move out, you hear? This used to be a decent building. The Shapilovs did not protest their eviction. Indeed, they did not wait for the morrow to leave. They quit their apartment with only a suitcase, a laundry bag and an electric toaster. Marcia watched them. She watched them go down the steps through a half-open door. It's done, she thought. It's all over. With a sigh of almost sensual pleasure, she turned on the lamp beside the bed. Then the other lamps. The room gleamed immaculately. Deciding to celebrate her victory, she went to the cupboard, where she kept a bottle of creme de month. The cupboard was full of roaches. She had not told them where to go, where not to go, when they left the Shapilov apartment, it was her own fault. The great silent mass of roaches regarded Marcia calmly, and it seemed to the distracted girl that she could read their thoughts. 
their thought rather, for they had but a single thought. She could read it as clearly as she could read the illuminated billboard for chock full of nuts outside her window. It was delicate as music issuing from a thousand tiny pipes. It was an ancient music box open after centuries of silence. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Something strange happened inside Marcia then. Something unprecedented. She responded. I love you too, she replied. Oh, I love you. Come to me, all of you. Come to me. I love you. Come to me. I love you. Come to me. From every corner of Manhattan, from the crumbling walls of Harlem, from restaurants on 56th Street, from warehouses along the river, from sewers and from orange peels mouldering in garbage cans, the loving roaches came forth and began to crawl towards their mistress. While traveling home from a job interview in California, Mark and Allie Thurston suffer a car accident in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Allie, are you alright? After walking for miles to the nearest convenience store, they are greeted by Hap, the store owner, who invites them to stay the night in his home. Me and my son would be glad to have you. When the two announce their plans to stay in a nearby hotel and restaurant, the Old Tawan Buffet, Hap does his best to dissuade them, but when they insist, he leaves them with a strange warning. Don't eat the calamari. When the warning goes unheeded, Mark and Allie are plunged headlong into a cosmic nightmare. Mark! Mark! What's happening to me? Giants, frogmen, time travel, and interdimensional madness. Now you die, your alley dies, your old man dies, I find your home, all of your friends die all of which concludes in a battle against an ancient evil. You will bow before the mighty Dion Dega! Together they must find a way to preserve their lives, their sanity, and perhaps even their world. Part love story and part comedy, perfect for fans of Ghostbusters and Cloverfield, The Old Town Buffet by Wesley Critchfield is a deep dive into Lovecraftian horror that will keep you in suspense and make you want to come back for seconds. Great. I've woken up in the middle of a British Three Stooges routine. More like Gilbert and Sullivan, I should think. No, Monty Python's far more my speed. The Old Town Buffet, or Don't Eat the Calamari, by Wesley Critchfield. Read it now on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Audiobook version coming soon at audible.com.